Open up your Bibles, 1 John. It's always encouraging when the pastor's getting ready to start his message and 150 people walk out. That's just awesome. I told Ian that. He goes, hey, this is my idea. We're going to have them all in service. And then right at the start of your message, we're all going to walk out. I said, that is outstanding. 150 people just right out. We started our Lenten series last weekend, 1 John, and we had a great kickoff Ash Wednesday. How many of you were Ash Wednesday service? Whatever, 150 folks show up in the loft. We kind of stacked it out in the loft, which was great. I think our Ash Wednesday rhythm is going to grow into the place where it's similar to Christmas Eve and Good Friday in our evening service rhythm of our year. So just right now in your heads, just start marking off Ash Wednesday for next year, and most likely we're going to have to move it down here in the main room and kind of recraft the larger auditorium space and uh, build on the momentum because Ash Wednesday launches us in to a 40-day period of time that in the church calendar is called the Lenten season. Here's the core question of Lent. When you wake up on Easter morning, what do you want to be different? When you wake up on Easter morning, approximately 40 days from the kickoff on Ash Wednesday, what do you want to be different? Because the Lenten season is about renewal and redirection. It's about pausing and examining and stepping back and go, hey, where's my life headed? And is there anything God would want to reshape or change or redirect or renew in preparation for the Resurrection Sunday? And we put some things in place. You implement new spiritual practices. You might fast from something, prioritize some things, invest some time and energy in something. And so the goal is for 40 days, you put those things in practice, and then by resurrection morning, some things are most likely different that would spawn a habit that would then propel past the Easter weekend. So that's the whole role of the Lenten season, and we're going to journey through Lent in the book of First John. So last Sunday, I started us out in First John, the first paragraph, talked about two invitations from John the Apostle, not John the Baptist, writer of 1 John is John the Apostle. And John said there are two invitations which flowed out of two declarations. Do you remember the two declarations? God is life, right? He is an eternal kind of life, a zoe life, an absolute fullness of life. And that's great news, but you know what's even greater news is that greater news is that you and I can experience his eternal kind of life right here and right now. So God is life, and you can experience that life right here and right now. Remember the second declaration? God is light, right? So God is life, and he is light. And as great as it is that God is light, what's even greater is that you and I can walk in his light. And we ended with a question, so what do you want? Because the spiritual journey is really formed around desire. You live toward what you want. And there's a common denominator found in the lives of those who are walking in the fullness of the life of God and are living in the light of God. Do you know what the common denominator is for those lives? They want it. Because you live toward what you want. So we're going to be praying and stirring up the question all through these 40 days. What do you want At the core of your being, what's the deepest hunger and appetite of your soul? Because the answer to that question, more than anything else, is going to shape who you become. So we're going to build on it today. Open up your Bibles. We're going to be in 1 John 1. We're going to build on it, verse 5 and following. Here's what John says. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is 
light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness. Underline fellowship with him. Do you remember what we covered last week? What does the word fellowship mean? It means to participate in the life of. So it's way more than uh, coffee, cakes, and donuts in the atrium, fellowship hall. It's way deeper than that. When, when John talks about you can have fellowship with God, that means you can live your everyday life with, in participation with the living God who created you, who sent Jesus to die for you, who sent the Holy Spirit to fill your life. You can live your everyday moments with him. That's fellowship. Fellowship with God. Him, keep going, you might want to underline that in verse six. Yet walk in darkness. So it says, if we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. Verse seven, but if we walk in the light, underline the phrase, walk in the light. Here's what I want you to think about. What does it mean to walk in the light? Is that you live open-handed and open-hearted and open-faced before God. You say, God, no more running, no more hiding, no more stuffing and concealing and rationalizing, just open-hearted, open-handed, open-faced before God. That's what it means to walk in the light of his truth. We'll get into more of that in just a minute and keep going here. As he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Notice all sin. Verse eight, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, underline confess our sins. So here's what, confess our sins. It means you agree with God about the current reality that's being exposed in the light of his truth. That's what confess our sins is. You agree with God with what the light of his truth is revealing, exposing, and bringing to the surface in your life. There's no rationalizing. There's no excusing it away. There's no trying to bury it, conceal it, run from it. You're walking in the light of his truth, and you're confessing as there's an agreement with God that you're calling it what God calls it. Sin, in this case, as John writes about. He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word has no place in our lives. So here's what I wrote down in my notes. I said, look, what did I hear John just say in that paragraph? Here's what I jotted down for myself. I said, I think John's saying this. If we claim we're living, if we claim we're living everyday life with God, and yet walk in darkness, we're deceiving ourselves. We're what he calls a liar. It's not truthful. If we claim we're living everyday life with God and yet continue to walk in darkness, he says, that's just lying to yourself. That's just deceiving yourself because the essence of darkness is to hide, to conceal, to, to run, to cover up. So if you claim to be walking in the light of God's truth, you can't be going in the darkness because the essence of darkness is running, hiding, covering, concealing. What did I say the essence of walking in the light is? Is an uncovering, is a revealing, is an exposing. Do you see how one is absolutely opposite of the other? You can't be going towards the dark and going towards the light at the same time. If you claim to be going towards the light and yet you're living towards the dark, John says you're deceiving yourself. In a moment, we're going to call it, you're pulling the wool over your own eyes. Because if you're going in the light, here's the essence of the light. 
You're walking in the light of his truth. In other words, whatever he's exposing and uncovering and revealing, which as we know in our own human condition, there's no lack of sin that we all struggle with. So as we walk in the light of God's truth, of course we're gonna wrestle and deal with sin. John says, hey, if you claim to be without it, you're also deceiving yourself. Everybody, every single blue chair has a story. And a common element of all of our stories is we're all sinful, fallen short. We're all struggling at different degrees in different areas, but it's common, it's sin. And then he says, what do you do with your sin? Hallelujah, Jesus has come. You wanna know what to do with your sin? You bring your sin to Jesus. He's the one who can deal with sin. Every single one of us has to answer the question, what do you do with your sin? And John says to stand before him and say, I don't have any sin to deal with. That's not, that's not gonna go well. I remember the first time a gentleman named Pastor Andy Winters sat down with me. I was a junior in high school. I, didn't, I wasn't raised in the church. We didn't talk about God, faith, Bible, spiritual things. We just didn't. We had a loving family, great family. We went to the lake, boating, skiing, fishing, camping, all that stuff on weekends. Not church stuff. So I remember I was 10 or 11 years old and we're driving to the lake on one Sunday morning and I said, Mom, Dad, why are so many people getting married today? Some of you have no idea why I said that. (laughs) Think about it. Come on now, stay with me. Because the only time I saw cars in church parking lots, the only experience I had in local church were weddings. So I said, look at all these churches and all these cars on Sunday morning. Why are so many people getting married this morning? And then mom looked at dad and dad looked at mom. Mom, dad, you've been there before? Who's taking this one look? And they simply said, hey, there's a little bit more that goes on in churches than weddings. Oh, I didn't know that. So when I met Pastor Andy Winters at a local church in Newton, Iowa, and he loved me enough to sit down with me after about six or eight months into our relationship, and he said, hey, Eric, I wanna talk to you about sin. I said, I... I don't know what that is, Andy. He says, well, the, the Bible says that all of us are sinners. And my first response was, no, I'm not. I said, no, I'm not. I'm not a sinner. I have no idea what that word means, but I'm definitely not it. <laughs> and he knew enough about me because we'd been hanging out for six, seven, eight months. He's like, well, you know, you know a couple weeks ago when you kind of shaded the truth at home about this situation, yeah, yeah. Well, God says that's sin. Ah. You remember that conversation we had about how you're treating your brother at home about some stuff? Yeah. Well, God says that's sin. And he went through three or four. It didn't take him long. I'm not the sharpest bulb on the tree, but I looked at him and said, "I, I think I'm a sinner then. It was my first understanding and kind of revelation that just my default human condition is I'm, I'm born in rebellion to this God who gave me life. Like the current in the river is flowing a direction and it's not Godward. Like if I just let the canoe of my life float, it's going the wrong direction. And that's what John's bringing out here. He's saying, hey, guys, you can't claim to be without sin. That's like claiming to jump in the river and to flow with the current and say the current's not taking you anywhere. You're deceiving yourself. The truth is not in you. So you can't be claiming to walk in the light of God's truth and suppressing what his light is exposing. Two mutually exclusive things. This is why what movement toward God looks like. Here's what a a marker of movement towards God 
is there is this increasing level of comfort, a settling into living open-faced, open-hearted, open-handed before the light of God's truth, no matter what it exposes. That's what movement towards God looks like. The opposite would be drifting away from God would be, ah, you're getting a PhD and running, concealing, hiding, rationalizing, and pulling the wool over your eyes. That's a PhD in darkness. A PhD in light as you just become. It doesn't happen overnight, but you just become increasingly comfortable of just laying the whole of your life under the light of his life and truth. So this morning I want to talk about four realities if you choose to come out of the dark and walk in the light. Four amazing promises of what happens in our lives if we choose to go this route from John here. The first one I wrote down from verse 8 and 9 is that if we choose to come out of the dark, here's what we'll find. We'll find freedom and cleansing. Do you see that in verse 8 and 9? Freedom from what? Freedom from self-deception. Do you see that? We deceive ourselves, he says. It's a whole lot better way to live than pulling the wool over your own eyes. That's how I define self-deception. Not, you don't, where you see reality as it is and you stop rationalizing it for the way you want it to be. That's a real gift of God's grace when you just begin to see things as they are, which we need God's help to do that, and we stop rationalizing them the way they want them to be. Listen to how Cornelius Planninga wrote about this. I put the quote in your notes there. Self-deception about our sin is a narcotic, a tranquilizing and disorienting suppression of our spiritual central nervous system. What's devastating about it is that when we lack an ear for wrong notes in our lives, we cannot play right ones or even recognize them in the performances of other people. Eventually, we make ourselves so spiritually unmusical that we miss the exposition of the main themes that God is playing in human life. Now, that's one of those paragraphs we need to live with for a little bit. Okay, don't miss this. Do you see what Planning is bringing out? And he's harvesting out of 1 John 5 through 10 here. He's saying, hey, there's a, the current of the river. You don't have to work at this. You don't have to get really good at self-deception. Have you figured this out yet? Like, we can get incredibly skilled at deceiving ourselves. Like, breathtakingly good at it. Am I the only one that experienced this? Come on now. We can get really good at this. And if we go that road, if we live in the flow of that current long enough, you get to the point, hear this now, where you can't even recognize the right notes of music that God is playing all around you in your life or in the lives of others. You just get so numb to it. You get callous to what? To the wrong notes to pulling the wool over your eyes, to rationalizing reality the way you want it to be, you can actually convince yourself that is the new reality. And then you don't see this grand, epic, eternal story that God is writing all around you. Because those notes, you think, you're not even dialed into. You see this? And here's what John says. You can step out of that. There's so much freedom. The freedom to what? Freedom from self-deception. Freedom to live honestly and authentically before the light of his truth. That's so much better way to live. 
It's exhausting to try to live with self-deception because then you're just working overtime on image maintenance, trying to cover your tracks on all kinds of things. It's exhausting to live that way. It's much more free just to live in the light of how things really are, even if it's really hard. Sometimes the light of God's truth is exposing stuff in our life. It's really hard. But the alternative is what? I think a much harder way to live is to suppress, rationalize, deny, turn from it, and run in the darkness. That's a worse way to live. Now, it's a way to live, and many of us have gone down that road. But a much more freeing way is, hey, even though that's hard and the light is exposing some things, keep pressing in towards the light. Live open-hearted, open face, open-handed. Just walk with him in this light. There's freedom in that. Do you feel the freedom in that? The wind of his spirit that just helps you become increasingly comfortable with who he's made you to be, who you are and who you're not. The freedom just to stop working so hard to manage reality all around you and simply receive the musical notes that God is playing and live in the light of that music. That's a much better way to live than you trying to craft your own song that sounds really bad to everyone around you. And if you don't know how bad it sounds to those around you, it is an illustration of how thick the wool is pulled over your own eyes. If you're convinced the music of your life is sounding so great because that's the only notes you're dialed into, and then you just need to ask the people who love you enough and know you well enough to say the honest truth, to say, your life is a mess, and the music of your life <laughs> It's destroying a lot of people around you, and you need help. And we know where to go to get help. First John 1, life and light, and move out of deceiving ourselves and find freedom. And not only that, what does he say? If you confess your sins, what are you going to find? A God who stand up there to beat you with a club when you confess your sin? You're going to find what? Cleansing. You're going to find renewal. You're going to find forgiveness. You're going to find hope. Confess your sin where you just uncover before Jesus and just let him cover it up in his grace. That's what you do with your sin. So you find freedom and you find cleansing if you'll step out of the dark and start walking in the light. And you know the greatest example I thought of in the New Testament of this is Saul of Tarsus in Acts chapter eight and nine. If you want like a profile of this whole journey, Saul. In Acts eight, he's standing there giving approval to one of the leaders in the Christian church, Stephen's death. He's giving approval to his execution. You wanna talk about someone who's walking in the dark, who's going on the flow of the river of self-deception. You wanna talk about someone who's got the wool completely pulled over his eyes. Saul is absolutely convinced of what? This Jesus movement is wrong, and he's absolutely convinced he's right. He's so convinced he's right, he's giving approval to one of them's execution. And then in Acts chapter 9, at the beginning, it says what? He's on his way to Damascus. And what's he going to do in Damascus? He's going to shut the church of Jesus down. He's going to arrest men, women, and children. Anybody who claims the name of Jesus, Saul says, I'm going, I'm throwing them in jail. I'm shutting the Jesus train down. Because that train is, that thing's whack. That thing's no good. It's not going to help anybody. Shut the Jesus train down. That's Saul of Tarsus. He's convinced he's right. And then what happens? Do you know what happens when you convince yourself you're absolutely right of something? Do you know what you're gonna avoid at all costs? What are you gonna run from at all costs? The light. You're running from the light. 
If Saul's over here living in complete darkness, I'm right. Jesus is not the Messiah. The Jesus train's got to get shut down. He's in this complete pitch black darkness to the point he's approving of Christians' death, even young Christians' death. That's how dark it is in Saul's world. So what do you think he's avoiding? <laughs> Anything that has to do with, right? When you've been in some dark space long enough, right? Remember the last time you were in one of those movie theater settings and you were real close to the exit door and you walked out of the movie theater and then it was in the middle of the day and you opened the light of that par- out to the parking lot? What do you immediately do? You're just, ah, ah, I mean, it hurts. You're squinting. You're kind of cringing. You're pulling away. That's what's going on in Acts 9 with Saul. He's on the way to Damascus, and how does the text read? Remember we covered it last year in our journey through Acts? What happened? It says, suddenly on the road to Damascus, what struck Saul? It says, suddenly a light from heaven. Ha! And what happened to Saul? A light from heaven struck him. Blind! How ironic is that? He's in so much darkness. The light from heaven, like, he can't even see the light is so bright here. And how ironic is this? In Saul's blindness, that's when he begins to see. That's freedom from self-deception. That's cleansing for all this sin. And it's Saul of Tarsus. You know how the storyline goes there. What happens to this guy? Three days blind, three days calling out to God, three days of moving, sliding towards the light, and all of a sudden, Saul's like, I think I was wrong. Because the light then speaks to him, I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. Talk about going from here right into here. I'm Jesus whom you are persecuting. Saul, I mean, it doesn't take a real sharp cat to conclude I was, I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But how much humility does it take in our lives? The longer we live in the dark, how much humility does it take to look the people around you in the face, look God in the face, look the mirror in the face and say, you know what? I'm wrong about this. I've been wrong for a long time. And if we can, do you see, that? That's where we need, that's only gonna happen with God's help. But when you get to that place, you know what comes on the other side of that? Freedom and cleansing. And then Saul of Tarsus writes 13 of the 27 New Testament books. Ha, didn't see that one coming, did you? 13 of the 27 of these. So some of you sitting here today thinking, I don't know, I think I've lived in the dark too long. Simpson, you got no idea what I've done in the dark. You don't know how long I've been there. You don't know what's going on there. You don't know the kind of reputation I built there. All I've got to say is, hey, Saul of Tarsus storyline says to you, no one is beyond his grace. There is nothing beyond his redemption. There's nothing he can't do with a willing heart. And here Saul of Tarsus goes from Acts chapter nine, whew, sailing off. He goes from, I'm going to go to Damascus and arrest the Christians, to, I'm going to go to Damascus and start building Jesus' church. Huh, what happened there? Darkness to light. Freedom, cleansing, renewal, redirection, Lenten season. That's us. Same thing can happen for us during these 40 days. Because he begins to see himself for who he really is. Healthy self-awareness is such a gift of grace from God, is it not? Another marker of spiritual maturity is increasingly healthy self-awareness, which is also then the antithesis would be a marker of someone who's really wound up in the dark is when they just have really struggling with any form of self-awareness. It's usually an indication 
pulling the wool over their own eyes and living in the dark. And so the way you pray is you got to pray to help them get to the light. And they begin to see God who, for who he really is. They begin to see their ways are wrong. They say, I'm wrong. I'm wrong. Jesus, you're right. And that's the pathway to cleansing and renewal. Second thing you find if you come out of the dark and start walking in the light is you find companionship. Look at verse 7. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we'll have fellowship with one another. You know, relationships that are walking in the light are going to be key for us continuing to walk in the light. You tracking with me? There's some relationships that get forged in our life that are primarily in the dark. There's a lot of relational currency that gets forged in the dark. And so when you begin to step out and to walk in the light of God's truth, do you know what also has to happen? There has to be some exiting of some relationships that are forged in the dark, and there has to be some intentionality about cultivating relationships that are walking in the light of God's truth. And that helps you continue to walk in the light of God's truth. We need one another, right? Parents, this is why we consistently talk about how important it is as parents to prioritize placing your children and students in environments where the light of God's truth is the center. It's not just about what they're learning today, downstairs and in the loft. It's not just about what they're learning. It's also about what? The relationships that they're forging around the light, the light of God's truth. Why is that so critical? Because at some point in their journey, the darkness is going to pull at them, right? The world's going to pull. There's going to be a pull to go back to the dark. And what are you going to need in that moment, mom and dad? We're going to want a band of brothers, a band of sisters. You're going to want relationships around those young lives that are going to help them sift through yes and no, truth from error, light from darkness, good from evil. And to think they're going to come home all the time and process it with you at the kitchen table, ha, huh. That would be the definition in 1 John of deceiving yourself. You may be one of those, and hallelujah when you are, but believe you me, you need some other peer networks and other adults in their life who are going to remind them of who they are and who they're not and who God is and help them not pull the wool over their eyes and keep walking in the light of God's truth. And parents, when you release them off, when they graduate from high school and they go off to college or into the marketplace or into the military or wherever they go, that kind of relational world built around the light, that kind of character development that comes there, that's going to matter way more than how many trophies they've got from travel soccer. Are you with me? And at some point, mom and dad, you got to hold the fort on this. Our culture is not going to hold the fort on this. Your travel, whatever leagues around you, are not suddenly going to make Sunday mornings from 8 to noon a sacred window. That's not going to happen. Guess who can hold the fort on that? You and I. And we got to say, this matters more than whatever that was going to bring. I have yet to sit with a parent who's struggling through the young adult years and say, man, I just wish I would have put them in a couple of more of those sporting and travel leagues and we wouldn't have this issue. But I've sat with dozens of parents who say, why did I mess up the prioritization in those formative years? And I understand sports are important and those things are good and those are a lot of good things that happen there. But there's something more important. Hear me in that, mom and dad. There's something more important. And that's the fellowship of the light and banding together and building relationships around the light and keeping them exposed to the light of this truth. 
because there's going to be a pull to go to the dark. And when that pull comes, whew, we are going to need companions on this journey towards the light. Are you with me? We got to band together. We got to stay together on this and we got to encourage each other. And sometimes we have to exhort each other. And sometimes we got to take each other out to lunch and say, hey, I'm concerned. I'm concerned where this is going. I need you to go pray, think this through. Because run the tape out, where does this go? So the first thing is, if you walk into the light, you'll say, hey, there's freedom, there's cleansing. The second thing you walk in the light, you'll find there's companionship with others in the light. And then thirdly, you'll find yourself becoming more gentle and merciful with those around you. You know what an indicator of someone who's really wound up in the darkness is there's high amount of self-righteousness, spiritual pride, and a condescending attitude towards those around you. The profile in New Testament of this is the Pharisees. And they were convinced they were right. They had their big stack of books and their flowing robes and their prayer this and that. They had it all going on. They were convinced. This would be in the category of I know him. Like when and John says, hey, they, they say, I, this is how we know him all through his letter. They were convinced they knew him. And yet they were so condescending and so self-righteous and so much spiritual pride. They loved having the stripes, the whistle, and the flag. They loved looking at everyone else's life, blowing the whistle, throwing the flag at everyone else who's out of bounds. And all the while, Jesus walks on the scene and says, hey, do you see you wearing the stripes and having the flag? Do you see what that's exposing in you? And then they're the ones in the crowd chanting, crucify him. So you see how well that went. Because they got the wool pulled over their eyes. They're just living in the darkness of self-deception, convinced they're right, convinced Jesus can't be the Messiah, so crucify him. And all the while, he's trying to expose them to it. He's trying to drag them into the light. So here's an indicator of someone walking in the light. When there's a level of patient endurance, when there's a gentleness and a humility and a mercy with the messiness and brokenness of lives all around you. I didn't say anything about easy. But that's an indicator of walking in the light. When you're walking with people whose lives are going over the cliff, it's really, really hard. But a marker of someone wound up in darkness is you get involved in all that and you get self-righteous and judgmental and condescending and spiritual pride and all that. And you just, that's... Here's an indication I'm going to really live in the light of Jesus' truth is there's a patient endurance. There's a recognition of this because you recognize if it isn't for grace, you're over that cliff. You're like, the only difference between me and that story is Jesus' grace. And you recognize that there were other times in your life when people didn't give up on you. You're not going to give up on them. God didn't give up on you. Others didn't give up on you. And you don't forget that. So you live with a, a mercy and a patience, and a gentleness. Doesn't mean you don't speak some hard things. You can just do it in a loving way. You don't have to do it the way of the Pharisees. You do it in the way of Jesus. And I think that's another thing that comes when you step out of the dark. You find freedom and cleansing. You find companionship. You find a gentleness and a mercy that rises up within you. This is why the fruit of the Spirit is what in Galatians 5? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness. Fruit of the Spirit. You'll find that growing inside of you with the messiness and brokenness all around you. And then lastly, you will radiate the light that's been illuminating in you. 
You know when you step out of the dark and you start walking in the light? You know what you bring then into all your spheres, influence in your life? You bring the light. So into your marriage, you bring light. Into your workplace, you bring light. Students, into your classrooms, you bring light. Into your locker rooms, into your community events and experiences, you bring the light. When you start walking in the light, this is what the scripture talks about. I put a few of them in your notes. Uh, Philippians 2.15 says, you, as followers of Jesus, shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. Do you see that? You ever thought about when you look up one of those starlit skies that we get about, I don't know, once every eight or nine days in Indiana this time of year, we get a night where we can just go out there, right, and just look under those starlit sky. And you know what God says? Hey, look, when you walk in the light of God's truth, that's you shining in the beacon of light in the darkness. This is what Jesus talked about in Matthew 5. You are the light of the world. So some of you are in some really difficult work settings. Difficult. Factory situation, warehouse situation, office environment. You've got some really tough circumstances at work. And you say, how is God bringing the light of his truth into that? You know what the core of it is? You. As you walk in the light, as he is in the light, guess what happens in that warehouse? You shine like a star in the universe. You're the light of the world. You bring light. Some of you have some home environments. Some of you have things going on at home. There's a ton of darkness at home. You say, how is God bringing hope and healing? How's he bringing light into that? You. You're the light of the world. As you walk in the light, as he in the light, you bring light. Do you have people in your life that are like this, that when you just spend time with them, there's just kind of a radiance about their countenance. They just bring something to whatever interaction they're in that just kind of it's like what the scriptures talk about. They're just kind of a radiance of light and truth and hope and healing and joy. You know what that is? That's Christ in you. That's not you. It's Christ in you because he's light. And no matter how dark and broken and messy that situation is, you step into that with the light of his truth. As you are in the light, then guess what happens? The wattage gets turned up a little bit in that setting. Now, a bunch of people might start fleeing. What I found is you walk in the light, and a whole bunch of people might start giving you the spiritual Heisman with that. Like, they don't want, what, they're Saul of Tarsus. Like, I want back in the dark. This light hurts way too much. But someone who's walking the light doesn't give up on them. They're patient. They're prayerful. They're not giving, they're pursuing. Right? They're not being judgmental, condescending. They're saying, hey, no, you know what? The only difference between me and them is grace. I'm gonna keep walking in the light. He is in the light. I close with this, Daryl and Cheryl Fennessy. Do you guys remember the Fennessys? They were here last April. Here's a picture of Daryl and Cheryl. They were here with us last April. They shared about their recent appointment at that time to the country of Berlin, Germany. So they're serving in Berlin, a suburb of Berlin, and they were appointed there in June of this past year to serve the 200,000 Syrian refugees that had been thrust into that area of the world. Do you remember that? They were talking to us about that. And so in June they went, and they started establishing, they found a place to rent, they found a ministry center, which is right there, that's the picture of uh, their Christmas, they had a little Christmas gathering at the ministry center, and Daryl sent this in uh, mid-January. He said, we had 24 Muslim and adult children attend our Christmas party, and we had 11 people attend our first family game night that took place on January 14th. On January 15th at 5 p.m., a man named Mahmoud prayed to receive Christ, our first fruit the first known Syrian in this area to become a follower of Jesus. How good is that? 
I was so fired up when I read that on January 15th. Well, then just a month later on February 19th, we were praying for them during prayer week, and many of you joined me in praying for them during prayer week. And then on February 19th, about a month later, Daryl Fennessy sends me another note. He says, hey, I have some great news from yesterday. So this is just February 19th. At our weekly meeting, Geraz, who's a local pastor, so they, they got a local pastor to come who's a local Syrian who was living in Brazil because he fled the Syrian mess. So he got down to Brazil. Daryl and Cheryl figured out there was a pastor in Brazil who'd be willing to come to Berlin, Germany. Convinced him to come, his whole family, figured out a way to get him there, got him through the visa and paperwork process, which you picture all that was. Gerez is now there as a Syrian pastor helping Daryl and Cheryl because their vision isn't Daryl and Cheryl's minute. Their vision is to get a Syrian church planted amongst these Syrians who are coming to Jesus. So Gerez is there. So Gerez speaks a message from Mark 5.25 about the woman who touched Jesus. There were three men in attendance. How about that worship service? Three, heaven forbid a little common cold goes through that church, you know. I'm like, dang, Daryl and Cheryl so fired up. Three people came. Some of you get discouraged when three people come to your life group. Here's Daryl and Cheryl in the suburbs of Berlin trying to get a ministry going. Three people come. Get this, though. Two of the three on February 19th prayed to receive Christ. The third one, get this, the third one who was present, guess who the third one was? Mahmoud. <laughs> Mahmoud brought the other two. Mahmoud says to Gerez, quote, I already took that decision. That was his attempt. Isn't that great? So he says, so the other two become, so now there's a little band of three. Listen to what Daryl says there. It's been a lot of work to get to this point. What an understatement, huh? And we would not be here without Eagle Church. How encouraging is that? So last year, we were able to give $45,000 out of our missions fund to Daryl and Cheryl to help them get this ministry center started. So we, that's why he says we couldn't do this without Eagle Church. We thank the Lord for all of you at Eagle, and I know you will pray with us for this small group to continue to grow as these men so open to the gospel bring like-minded friends to, and the name of their center, the Lighthouse. How is God bringing light and hope and healing to 200,000 Syrians who are uprooted in the mess of the news that we see scrolling every day, right? How is that? ISIS running wild in that area, 200,000 fleeing. Some of them walked, Daryl said, for three months, three months walking and surviving to land now in a suburb called Berlin. What's God doing about that? God's saying, I'm sending the light. I'm, I'm sending Daryl and Cheryl Fennessy who are gonna walk in the light of his truth. And then you know what's gonna happen? They're gonna be a lighthouse. They're gonna establish a lighthouse there that's gonna bring hope and healing and grace. And then I've got Gerez. I bring Gerez from Brazil, a Syrian from Brazil up to Berlin. And now we got a lighthouse going. And eventually there's gonna be a Syrian church who's gonna be a beacon of light. Who's thinking, what's the Lord gonna do with Mahmoud? Mahmoud's probably liable to be a church planner before the end of this year. And going into that refugee village and being a lighthouse. Because if I understand 1 John correctly, any follower of Jesus, that would be an appropriate title. You are a lighthouse. And wherever God sends you, you bring the light of his truth. And you help. And you pray. 
and you're merciful and you're patient and you're gentle and you're gentle and you're bringing the light of his truth and you're not giving up on people. Can you imagine how overwhelming their daily realities are and they're so filled with joy and hope and peace how they're living in the light of his truth. They found freedom and grace. They found fellowship with others in the light. And then they're bringing that light then wherever they go. I'll tell you what, that Syrian refugee village in Berlin, it's getting lit up. In Jesus' name, it's getting, it's getting lit up. Life by life by life. So as we go into week, this week of Lent now, week two of Lenten season, here's the charge to you guys. I would like you to continue to daily find two minutes of stillness and quiet. As Justin said earlier, it's not the easiest thing to do. You figured that out yet? Two minutes be still, be silent, be quiet, preferably alone if possible, and then dial into the daily Lenten readings that you're getting pushed out through the app, or you can go on the website and get them if you don't have the app. And then here's the conversation I want you to have with your Lent group. I've asked you to group up with two or three others in this Lenten season. Form a text group, get together if you want, but at least a text group. And here's the conversation I'd like you to have this week. What's one area of your life that you sense God calling you to bring the light of his truth into. An area where you know he's calling you, step towards the light, bring the light here. I want you to talk in your group about that and pray for each other and we'll continue our journey. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you so much for John's faithfulness to pen such a letter. Thank you for Daryl and Cheryl Fennessy's report. Thank you for the encouragement it is to know that here we are in Whitestown, Indiana and we're linked up to the lighthouse in Berlin, Germany. Thank you for Mahmoud and these two other men who've come to Jesus in this past, past month. I pray that you just continue to ignite, Lord, ignite a fire, Lord, inside of them. It would burn the light of hope into so much need and brokenness in that area of the world. Encourage Daryl and Cheryl today. Give them vision and strength and resources, the people and money to get done what they need to get done. Uh, thank you, Lord, that... Uh, in our own lives, it encourages us just to continue to be faithful, to step in to the light of your truth. I pray that you'd set us free from places of darkness today. Cleanse us, Lord, from places of sin. If there's just been ongoing willful rebellion and you know it and today's the day just to confess it, call it what it is, step into the light of his truth, name it, and he will cleanse it and you'll find freedom. Cut through the wool that we're pulling over our own eyes. In Jesus' name, pierce through self-deception. Rip it to shreds. Help us to see things as they really are. Don't let us live, Lord, covered up in darkness and rationalizing and convincing ourselves of something that's not true. Help us to see things the way you see them. We ask for breakthroughs all through this Lenten season. In Jesus' name, amen.